So the writer of Hebrews has said this kind of over and over. It's really the theme of the book of Hebrews, and that is that Jesus is better. He keeps pointing that out, and as pastors, we keep bringing it back to that truth. Like, Jesus is better. And he's saying that in the context of people that he was writing to that were finding themselves drifting away from that truth, which is why it's so helpful for us. And he was, he was telling them, like, hey, don't, don't drift away from this. That's one of the warnings that he gives us. Don't drift from this truth that Jesus is better. Keep, keep coming back to that. Keep focusing on that truth. And some people are even in danger of turning away altogether, turning away from the faith and going back to Judaism and something else because they didn't understand and they were drifting from the, the central idea that Jesus is better. And so the writer of Hebrews keeps telling us that Jesus is better. And in the context of that, he's given us these warnings to, hey, stay true to this. Keep the faith. Persevere to the end. He keeps saying, don't stop believing. I mean, the problem is that we, we want to go our separate ways, right? But he wants us to walk faithfully towards the Father with his open arms on this journey that we're on. No? Okay. So that he's, he wants us to keep going. He wants us to persevere to the end. And so... As he's doing that, he gives us warning after warning after warning, and then every now and then we see hope. And in this passage, we see him give us some hope about our persevering, about our faith journey, all, all the things that he's talking about. And, he's, and it's really an, an anchor that he's giving us to hold on to. And, and it's just a reminder that, yes, we're, we're supposed to heed the warnings. We're supposed to kind of be concerned about that, maybe a healthy sense of fear that, man, man if I turn away from this, maybe I, I never really was a follower, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. I'm going I'm to keep moving. So there's this, this working out my salvation with fear and trembling element to Hebrews. But then he says, "Oh, but I, I want to I want to show you that there's an anchor that will hold you fast to this. If you have a boat and there's a current or there's wind that's trying to trying trying to make you drift away from where you want to be, all you all you do is drop an anchor, and you drop that anchor, and then it holds you steadfast. It holds you secure. It keeps you exactly where you're supposed to be, and you won't drift. No, the current won't take you. The wind won't push you off. Like the anchor will hold you where you want to be. And he says, hey, in this faith journey that we're on, there's an anchor of hope for us. And what he does is he points us to an example. Uh, the example of Abraham, and as he points us to Abraham's example, you see this characteristic of the, the anchor kind of surface. And so what we want to do today is really look at that example, look at Abraham as the example for us of what it, what it looks like to persevere in our faith and keep moving, and then make those observations about the anchor and the characteristics that we can hold on to. And so as he points us to Abraham, here seems to be the statement that kind of sums up what he's saying. Abraham persevered in his faith, and he received God's promise. Abraham persevered in his faith and received God's promise. If you look in your text at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15, it says, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Having patiently waited kind of means he persevered. He kept waiting on God. He kept trusting in God. He kept persevering in his faith. And the result of that is that we received the promise. And so that's a, that's a statement that the writer is giving us this example to encourage us, to give us hope. And so here's, here's Abraham. Consider Abraham's life. He persevered in his faith and he received God's promise. But the problem with that statement is this, it's, it's kind of too simple, isn't it? It almost seems so simple that it's almost unattainable. Oh, okay, so Abraham, he just, he just believed and he persevered in his faith and so he received the promise of God. So we need to like dig into that statement. We need to dig into the story because when you go into the details of the story, then it, it really gives you encouragement. 
If you know the story at all about Abraham, you know that God just chose him. Out of all the people on the planet, God just chose him and says, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. I'm going to make a new nation, a new race of people out of you. And he, he comes to Abram. At the time, his name is Abram. He's going to change his name later. And he says, Abram, I want you to follow me. Leave everything you know. Leave your comfort zone. Leave, leave your family, leave, leave your, your father's household, and, and let's just go. And the writer of Hebrews actually in, in chapter 11 will tell us that Abraham didn't even know where he's going. He just, it's a call to step out on faith and follow God, just trust God that he's got a plan. And so he calls him to follow him. He says, if you'll follow me, here's what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my blessing on you. I'm going to make your, you, you into a great nation, and I'm going to make your name great. I'm, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, which is really interesting because we sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, but most of his story, he had no sons. He didn't have any kids at all. Most of Abraham's story, he was waiting for a child. In fact, it came really, really late. So most of the story is him without a child and God making this promise, I'm going to make a great nation from your descendants. And so Abraham's called on this journey of faith and he steps out on faith. He, he decides to trust him. He decides to follow him. And so it's amazing. He's known as the father of our faith because he trusted God, because he believed in God. In fact, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness because of his faith. He believed in God's promise. He believed in ultimate God's promise of a Messiah to come. And he put his faith in that promise in God. And so that was, he was credited righteousness. He was declared righteous. He was justified before God. Not because of his works. No one's justified by works. The Bible says no one's ever been justified by keeping the law. But because of his faith in God and God's promise, God declared him righteous. And so Abraham demonstrates this great faith as he leaves everything he knows and begins to follow God. And then as you follow him on this journey, you'll see that Abraham persevered in his faith and received God's promise except for the times that he didn't. Because there were times that he stopped. There were a lot of times that he doubted. There, there's a whole, twice this happened where he came into the land and the king saw his wife and thought she's really attractive. And Abraham was so scared that he, the king would kill him and take his wife that he said, oh, no, she's my sister. This is like a whole different kind of level of issues right there, right? So, and, and he just lies about it because he doesn't trust God to protect him in that situation. So he doubts and he, and he takes mistakes and he steps in the wrong direction with his faith, his persevering faith. Sometimes it didn't look like persevering faith at all. In Genesis chapter 15, we find Abraham complaining to God. He, he's complaining. He's saying, God, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but I still don't have a kid. You promised me all these descendants. I, I don't even have one child. And he says, God, I guess when I die, one of the people of my household, one of my servants is going to be the heir to all that I have because I don't have any heir, any child to pass on my estate to. And so God comes back to him in Genesis chapter 15, and here's what he does. He reiterates the promise to him. He, he makes the promise again to him. No, Abraham. This man in your household is not going to be your heir. I promised you a son, and that is coming, and he will be your heir. In Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham's doubting and complaining and going, I guess this isn't going to happen, God says, Abraham, come outside. Come out of the tent. Look up at the stars and count them for me. I'll wait. He said, I can't, I can't count them. He says, exactly. 
your descendants will be more numerous than all the stars up there. I've, I've promised it, and I'm promising you again. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring a great nation from you. So Abraham's doubting, and God comes back and reiterates the promise. And so Abraham says, okay, let's keep moving. And a couple of chapters later, it gets really weird. Because Abraham's like, I guess God forgot to give me that child. And so him and Sarah come up with this plan that he's going to sleep with Hagar, and they're going to have a child, and they have Ishmael's born from Hagar, his servant. And Abraham's like, I guess, I guess now we fulfilled. I mean, he completely stopped trusting in God with all of his heart, and he started leaning on his own understanding, like the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. He took matters into his own hands because he doubted God's plan. His faith faltered in that moment. He failed in that moment. And what does God do? He comes back in Genesis chapter 17 to him, and he reiterates the promise again. Abraham, I... I still have a plan for you. In fact, it's in Genesis chapter 17, after Abraham made that mistake, that God says, I'm going to change your name. You've been known as Abram all your life. Abram means exalted father. Can you imagine the embarrassment of being that old and never having a kid, and your name literally means exalted father? He's carried that all of his life. And God says, no more. We're going to call you Abraham. And that name means father of a multitude, father of a nation. Changes his name. He also enters into a covenant. Gives him the covenant of circumcision. This visible uh, demonstration that he's God's people. And these will be God's people. They're set apart for God's purpose and God's glory. He he institutes that when Abraham has doubted and, and done all this on his own. And then he says to Abraham, here's the deal. Ishmael is not the son of promise. I will take care of Ishmael in his own way. But I promised you a son. And Abraham's response to that as he laughs, well, look at how old I am. That's kind of funny, God, that you still think you're going to keep this promise to me. So God says, not only am I going to keep the promise to you, but we're going to name him Isaac, which means he laughs because God's forever going to remind Abraham that he got the last laugh. <laughs> Isaac, oh, yeah, that God, God got it, yep. And so God, in the midst of maybe Abraham's biggest mistake, God comes back and just remakes the promise to him. I haven't, I haven't stopped. I'm still going to do this. I promise I will bless you. I promise I will multiply your descendants. I'm going to make the nation, this nation out of you, the descendants, more than the stars in the sky. I'm going to do that. And so Abraham keeps trusting, and he keeps moving. And in Genesis chapter 21, the story started in 12, and a lot of years have passed. In Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is finally born. Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac's born. Sarah, 90 No one thought this was this, oh, yeah. No, everybody knew this was God's work. This was God's miracle. Way past childbearing years, Sarah, who's 90, finally has a child. The child of promise arrives. God, God, Abraham's patiently waited and persevered in his faith, and the promise comes in Genesis chapter 21. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God tests him. And it's good that God tells us that. The very beginning of chapter 22, it says God tested Abraham's faith because otherwise we'd be like, what is going on here? But we know because we're reading the story after that God was testing his faith and he says, Abraham, take that son of promise, the one I promised that you've been waiting for all these years. Take him up on the Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me there. And this is one of those moments where this does not make sense. I, my understanding can't grasp that if you're Abraham. But man, he... He decided to believe God. He decided to trust God. And he takes Isaac up to the top of the mountain. He prepares the sacrifice. And he's about to go through with it. And God intervenes, 
says stop. There's a ram caught in the thicket. Ram takes the place of Isaac, becomes the substitute, pointed to Jesus like all the Old Testament does. But in that moment, God looks at Abraham and he says, now I know you really do trust me. All the, all the mistakes and the missteps and the doubts and all that, I know that you really do trust me. And he says, here's the deal. I'm, I, I want to promise to you one more time that I'm going to bless you and I'm, I'm going to multiply your descendants. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God makes an oath. He says, I'm going to swear by my own name, by myself, that I will keep this promise to you. And so when you look at the story of Abraham, here's what you see is, He persevered in his faith and received God's promises. That's the overarching truth about Abraham's life. We just walked through it. He didn't always. A lot of times he really struggled with doubts. Sometimes he gave up on God's plan and stepped out of line, stepped off the path and did something he shouldn't have done. And God kept reminding him of the promise and calling him back and bringing him back and picking him up and putting him on the right path over and over again. So at the end of Abraham's life, this is the statement. He waited patiently. And he received God's promise. And that, that's why we find encouragement in this. Because you and I doubt and we miss, make missteps and we, we get off the path all the time. We constantly forget that Jesus is better. and We choose to chase after something else. And God's constantly calling us back to a life of faith. And he's constantly saying, hey, no, trust me. Keep going. Did you stop for a while? Get started again. Did you get on the wrong path? Come back over here. Let me put you back where you're supposed to be. Keep going. There's so much encouragement from this example. And I want you to see this quote. Um, It's a pretty long quote. I actually take up two different screens. So if you like taking pictures of quotes, you can take a picture of the first one and then another one's coming. It's from Richard Phillips in his commentary. I saw it this week. It was so helpful to me to understand this example and how it really helps us. And here's what he says. Abraham sometimes showed heroic faith, but at other times was cowardly but he persevered. That's the main point. He pressed on. He did not abandon his faith in God, even though he often failed to apply it or to honor God as he should. But he pressed onward, and by persevering, he attained a firmer and firmer grip on God's promise. Again and again, he received a growing assurance of blessing and salvation and increasing possession of what God had promised. I love it. Abraham believed God, and then every now and then he forgot, and he stopped, and he doubted, and God came back and made the promise again. And so every time Abraham took another step of faith in the right direction, it built his faith. He got a firmer grasp on the promise that God had given him. And he would step off that, for, and then he'd come back, and he'd get a better grip as he moved forward in, our faith, in his faith. And so as an example to us, that encourages all of us as we're trying to persevere, as we're trying to keep going. So here's the second part of the quote. What does this mean for us? But that assurance of salvation, confidence in God's promise, and an increased grasp of spiritual blessings will come as we press forward in the faith. For all our doubt and weakness and failure, we have an example to follow in Abraham. That's the example. Keep moving forward. Keep trusting God, even with little baby steps of faith, even just another step of trusting in God. And every time you take a step of faith, God uses it to increase your faith, to strengthen you, to move you forward, to to help give you more and more assurance of the salvation that God has given us. Like every time we move forward, Abraham is an example. 
He stopped and he kept going. And then he got back in. The, and every time God reiterated the promise and reminded him and his faith grew. And so every time you take another step forward, even if you haven't been walking on that path for a while, and today you get back on the path, it'll begin to confirm and strengthen your faith. That's why it's so encouraging and that's why it's such a good example for us. But it's, it's more than just an example because we're connected to this. Here's the other part of this story that I think we need to grab a hold of, and that is the promise God made to Abraham is also for us. He's making a promise and an oath to Abraham, and it's, he makes that promise to us because we're a part of Abraham's descendants in a spiritual sense. Verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed with an oath. The heirs of the promise. He was doing that with Abraham to show the heirs of the promise that he's with them too. And the heirs of the promise are you and me. Abraham, remember we said this, he believed God and God gave him the gift of righteousness, credited to him righteousness on his account because of his faith. And for those of us in Christ, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And, and when we put our faith in Jesus, then our sin has been removed. It has been nailed to the cross, like Jesus died the death that we should have died on the cross. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and he gives us his righteousness so that through Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God sees the righteousness of Jesus on our account, and he declares us not guilty of sin. He declares us righteous, not because we're righteous, but because Jesus gave it to us. And so the Bible says that because of our faith in Jesus, we're declared right, just like Abraham believed in God and was declared right. And so we're now the descendants of Abraham. We are part of the multitude of nations that God promised Abraham. We're that because of our faith. And so Paul says a whole lot about this in Galatians chapter 3. And at the end of that argument, verse 29, he says this, if you, and if, and if you are Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're following Jesus, here's what you are. You're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If your faith is in Christ, you're part of God's family. You're a descendant of Abraham, not, not because of anything you and I have done, but because of what Jesus did, and he brought us in, and we put our faith in him, and so now we're part of that family. So the promises that God made to Abraham, he makes to us. And so that's the example that he gives. It's, it's not just an example. It's, it's for us, too. We're connected to this because of our faith. And throughout all this example, what you start to see is, wow, there's an anchor here. There's something I can really hold on to. It's something that will keep me really, really steady no matter what's going on on the surface, no matter which way the wind is blowing, right? I can hold on to this anchor. And you start to see the characteristics of that anchor kind of show themselves. And the first one I think that you see is that the anchor of hope comes from God's promises and his oath. This anchor that he's offering us, this anchor that is really a, an anchor of hope for the journey, for the future tense of the journey. It comes from God's promises and his oath. Abraham, every time he messed up and every time he doubted, God came back and just made the promise again. And here's what we know is that God keeps his promises. And it's really interesting because in verse 13 of chapter 6, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So God makes an oath and swears by his own name, puts his own reputation on the line to, to make that really, really clear. 
That he, he's already made a promise, and now he brings it in and makes an oath. And you're like, okay, why did he do that? Why does God make an oath? I mean, we know why you and I make oaths, because people don't believe us. I, I promise. You're like, yeah, really? And you're like, no, I swear. And all of a sudden, they're supposed to believe you now because we changed the words, right? Or we'll swear on the Bible, or we'll swear on my grandmother's grave or something, or sometimes we'll even like really go risky and swear to God. And God swears by God. Why does he do that? Is it because he, he might not keep his promise or he might forget? <laughs> no. In fact, verse 17 tells us when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he swore and guaranteed it with an oath. God makes an oath to Abraham, not because God's promise was ever in doubt, but because Abraham was in doubt. God swears an oath to us, not because he's in doubt or his character's in doubt or anything, but because you and I live in doubt all the time, and we, we tend to drift and we tend to forget. And so God condescends to us and makes an oath and swears by his name because there's nothing greater for him to swear by. He swears by his name just to make it even more convincing for you and I that he's going to keep his promise. That's, that's what he's doing. Show more convincingly this oath. He didn't need to make an oath because he keeps all of his promises, but he did it for Abraham's sake and for our sake so that we know we can really trust him. He's made promise after promise after promise in our Bibles. And the more you read the Bible, you see more promises. He will never leave us and never forsake us. He promised to love us, promised to forgive us, to remove our sin. As far as the east from the east, he's promised to carry us through. He's promised to complete the work that he started in us. All these promises. And here's where we find an anchor for our, our lives, for our soul, and the hope that God keeps his promises. So much so that he was willing to make an oath just to show us, even more convincingly, that he always keeps his promises. Here's why that's so important. Don't miss this part. This is where the enemy attacks us. This is his first form of attacking us. He wants to discredit God's word to us. He wants us to think that maybe we can't trust God. So he comes at us like that all the time. That, that's what he does. Back in the garden with Adam and Eve and everything's perfect, God created it, everything's perfect. And then the enemy comes in the form of a serpent. He comes to Eve and he starts talking. It should have been the first warning, right? He says, hey, did God really say you can't eat of any of this fruit in here? She says, well, no, that's, that's not what God said. He said we can eat of all of it except the one tree. Because if we eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, then we'll die. And the serpent said, no, you won't. You won't die. God just knows that if you eat of that fruit, then you'll just be as smart as him. You'll know everything that he knows. You'll have all the wisdom. And he's trying to keep you down. He's trying, he's trying to withhold something really, really good. He doesn't want you to have it because it will bring you up to his level. So he's keeping you. He put that boundary in place because, man, you really can't trust him. That's the first attack, the first lie, and it's the one he's using on us all the time. No, Jesus is not really better. This over here is better. He tells us that God's withholding something from you. He doesn't want you over here because he knows that that will really, really be so much fun. And so, and so he's taking things away. And if you, if you follow Jesus, he's going to take stuff away. And he's lying to us all the time. And the problem is we continually believe the lies and we wander away and we drift away because we think, oh, no, this is what, I don't know if I can really trust him. And the anchor that will hold you 
is that God always keeps his promises. He even makes oaths from time to time to show that he's keeping his promises. That, that, that's an anchor that will hold you steadfast to know that God always, always, always keeps his promises. He, you can trust every word that he says. Despite what the enemy's telling us, despite all the lies that our culture's feeding us all the time, there's an anchor for our soul, an anchor of hope that comes from his promises and his oaths. And the next thing that you see here is that this anchor of hope comes from God's character, who he is. Verse 18, two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Two, two things to know, but the main thing here is that it's impossible for God to lie. So what are we, what are we talking about? We're talking about God's character, who he is. He, he is truth. And so he doesn't lie. He has no Deceit, no dishonesty in him. He is truth. And so here's the deal. The more you know God and the more you know his character, the more you'll trust his promises. Does that make sense? That's why theology, the study of God and doctrine is not a peripheral thing. It's like essential. Like it builds the foundation for our faith. The more I study God, that's theology, the more I study him, get to know him, see his character, the more I read his word and, and see who he is, the more it builds my faith to trust his promises. Because I see it's impossible for him to lie. He keeps all of his promises. All these promises he made to me in scripture, he keeps every one of them. And that's an anchor. It'll hold you steady. In all of life storms. And then he, he, he kind of takes it to a whole never, another level here. He says this anchor of hope comes from his promises and his oath and God's character. And then ultimately he says it comes from God's son. That's where the anchor really, the hope really comes is by looking at what Jesus did. Who he is and what he's done. Look at verse 19 because this is when he finally brings in this idea of the anchor. He says, we have this, all this truth, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And that image is beautiful. I mean, an anchor for the soul because Jesus has gone behind the curtain. The curtain is an image of the temple. And in the temple you had the, the, all these places to worship. And then you had the holiest of holy places, the most holy place. And that was a place where the presence of God, it was represented the presence of God dwelling with his people in the temple. And it was a place that no one had access to. Only the high priest once a year could go in there and make an atoning sacrifice. No one could just walk in there. In fact, there was a curtain in front of the most holy place. So if you went into the temple to worship and you got up close to that, you would see that curtain. And it kind of communicated God's holy and you and I are not. And so we can't, we don't have access to him. There's something dividing us. There's something keeping us from him because of our sin. And what he says here is figuratively Jesus went behind that curtain. And he, he, he died the death that we should have died. He, he took our place on the cross. And when he did that, what he did is he gave us access where we didn't have access. He made a way where there was no way. In fact, if you remember the story, Jesus died on the cross. And that, that, that curtain, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. What does it represent? Access has been granted. Jesus has given us access to God when we had no chance of getting that on our own. And then it says, he's gone as a forerunner into the real holy place, into heaven, into the throne room of God where he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And as a forerunner, he's prepared the way. He's gone the way. He's shown us the way. And he says, hey, I'm going to 
that's the path that you're on. I have secured it. This anchor doesn't go down uh, for us. It goes up into heaven where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, securing our place forever because of what he did for us on the cross. He came out of the grave. He's with the Father, alive today, and that's the anchor for our hope. All the promises of God find their yes in him, is what it says in Corinthians. Yes in Jesus. All his promises, they're all fulfilled. And so the writer of Hebrews says, hey, keep, keep going, keep following, keep trusting, keep, keep moving. But man, it's not up to you. It's, it's all secured in who Jesus is and what he did for us. So as you, as you keep moving and keep trusting and keep following, hold on to the anchor. Hold on to him. He keeps all of his promises. His character. I mean, the more you know him, the more you love him and trust him. And because of the gospel story, because of what Jesus did, we, like, we can hold on to that, and it'll keep us exactly where we need to be. When Jesus was here on earth, he taught, and he made a lot of promises. And, man, that's, we could go on and on. I just wanted to pick out one of them for you as an encouragement to all of us today. It's found in John chapter 14, and you can see it on the screens and just kind of follow along. But listen, this is a promise Jesus made to his disciples, and his disciples, he's making it to us. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to, per- go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. That's a good promise. That's an anchor that will hold you steady. But I wanted the next part of this verse on there because it's so relatable, because Thomas, (laughs) you know Thomas, he's always doubting, and he had a question. He had a comment. Thomas said to him, Lord... We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A promise from Jesus that provides a sure and steady anchor of hope for this life and the one to come. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth and your word and the hope that you provide for us in it. We need all of it. We need the challenge. We need the reminders. We need the warnings. God, we're so thankful for the hope. God, help us to be a people that hold fast to the anchor of hope that you've provided because of your promises, because of your character and ultimately because of your son, Jesus, who made all that possible for us. And thank you for what he's done. Thank you that all of our hope is wrapped up with him. And we ask this in his name as our Savior. Amen.